Let us pray together. Lord God, you are our rock, our Lord, our redeemer. You are the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. You're the bread of life that satisfied the hunger. You have the, the bread so that we will not hunger anymore. You're the living water so that we would not thirst again. And you've invited sinners. you invited to come to you to drink and buy from you without money, without price. Because Jesus, you paid for the price. You gave your life. You absorbed the wrath of God so that sinners like us would be set free. And Lord, we are thankful and we give you the honor, the praise, and the worship because of this great gospel, this great good news that you have given us through your Son. And we ask, Lord God, that as we look into your word this morning, may you remind us again as we have been singing all throughout and as we have been praying and reading in scriptures the great gospel of how this holy God could save sinners through Christ. Oh, I pray, God, that you bring our attention to your word, convict us, convict us of sin, and maybe someone here in our midst do not know Jesus as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would, the Spirit would open his heart, that he would come to you. We pray, Lord, that you would bring clarity to the preaching of your word and that you would be honored. You receive all the praise. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could open your Bibles to Titus. I want to give you greetings from Emmanuel Bible Church, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to present our ministry and to preach the word to you. Um, Pastor Jim, Pastor Stephen, I've been good friends for whenever there are conferences, Simeon Trust, and also other conferences in town. Um, we've always encouraged, well, I'm always encouraged seeing them and hearing about how the Lord is... Um, using the ministry here. There was one time I remember when our lead pastor was um, on sabbatical and something's happening in our church. I'm like, I, you know, we, we, have, we have other pastors too. I'm, I'm one of the pastors, but I, I just want to have an insight from someone else. And so I called Pastor Jim. Can you help me with this? Um, and I'm thankful for that friendship. Um, this morning, we've presented our, our ministry, our, our vision of really what we want to see in the Philippines. There's more on the, on the table back there. There's a sign-up sheet for if you want to read about our newsletter uh, or receive our newsletter. We send it out once a month, uh, somewhere in the middle of the month. Uh, we send our monthly newsletter. If you want to know more on, on other things and other ways to partner with us, we have a, our prayer card. It's on the table back there. Um, 
when we look at Paul's letter to Titus, this letter has really been um, the burden that we have for the Philippines. Um, the le- Paul's letter to Titus kind of kind of gave us like the roadmap. You know what you see here in Titus. That's what you wanna, what we want to do. Um, our plan and strategy in the Philippines is not new. Um, we're not trying to come up with new ways to do ministry. We aspire to do what, if you go back to the reading this morning, which I didn't coordinate, and the reading was on Luke 24 and Acts 14. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, what they did in Iconium and Lystra, where they brought the gospel there, churches were started, and then they went back again. Let's visit those churches again. And when they went and visited the churches, they ordained elders or pastors, and they've committed them to the Word of God. And then Paul writes this letter to Titus, telling Titus to do the same thing that Paul and Barnabas did in Acts 14. And in the Lord's providence, I I didn't even know this either, Pastor Jim informed me that he plans to preach through Titus um, in the next few Sundays. Uh, This is not... You know, he didn't tell me to preach through Titus. We did not coordinate this. But as he's studying the word, as I'm studying the word, somehow, you know, independent of each other, we have the same sovereign Lord orchestrating all this. There are two ways, there are probably more than two ways, but there are two ways to study scripture um, in, my, in how I envision like, studying a, a book in the Bible. There's two ways you could do this. Um, one is digging, and one is raking. Um, when, when, when you're raking, you, you, co- you cover a, a, a huge section, right? You're, you're raking. You don't go very deep, but you cover a lot. Um, and you can see the entire landscape, a wide section. In digging, you only cover a small section, but you go deep. And sometimes it's helpful before you go, before you, before you dig, you kind of want to rake out the field so you know what's out there. Oh, there are some stones over here. Caution, be aware. So when we dig, we know, you know what, what we'll find there or what the terrain is over here and there. And as we work our way in digging, we would, we would know what's happening. So this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to I wanna cover the whole letter of Titus. So I'm more like raking um, kind of seeing the forest and not the individual trees. But by raking through Titus, I hope that would serve you well and, and kind of help you get started as you go on the digging on the next few Sundays. In this short letter, only three chapters, Paul reminds Titus why he left him in Crete. This is a small island. Um, it's probably the size of upstate South Carolina. Um, from east to west, think Clemson to Rock Hill, or north-south, Spartanburg to Greenville. About that size, island of Crete. Uh, and we can summarize that whole letter this way. Christ calls pastors of his churches to be devoted to sound doctrine. Christ calls pastors of his churches to be devoted to sound doctrine. 
Pastors must set the church in order by teaching sound doctrine for godliness and good works. Let's read. I'm going to read the first five verses in Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Why is Paul writing this letter? Verse 5. It's going to remind him, remind Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, in this island, so that you, Titus, might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see here in this letter, there's a, just in this introduction, um, you have Paul who is entrusted by the Lord to preach. You see that verse 3. Um, At the proper time manifesting his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted, and this is by the command of God our Savior. This is a charge from God. It's a charge from Christ to Paul. And Paul is transferring it to Titus. And Paul is reminding Titus in this letter, why I left you in Crete, Titus, is for this purpose. I want you to set things in order in the church and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this morning I want to ask two questions, two questions that our text is answering um, for us. Um, So just two questions. First, what is Titus supposed to do? And then second, why? What is Titus supposed to do, and then why is Titus supposed to do this? Right? So what and why? Right? Just two questions, what and why? So first, what? What is Titus supposed to do? Well, Paul says in verse 5, I left you in this island so that you would put what remained into order. I can summarize it this way. What is Titus supposed to do? Set the church in order by ordaining qualified pastors devoted to sound doctrine. Let me say that again. What is Titus supposed to do? Set the church in order by ordaining qualified pastors devoted to sound doctrine. Set the church in order by ordaining qualified pastors devoted to sound doctrine. We see this at least in three, three ways throughout the letter, right? First, on the opening, right? Uh, usually, you, you want to see the opening, you want to see the ending. Uh, the, those, are, those are clues to, to, to what the, 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 the purpose of the letter um, shows up at the beginning and at the end. So at the opening, we already read verse 5. Um, Paul left Titus in Crete so that he can put what remained. What, what does that mean? Um, these are things that are lacking, Things that remain. There are things more to do. They're remaining. Or you can say there's the word for lacking. These are things that are lacking. Uh, If you have the King James, I think that's what it says. Things that are lacking in the churches. 
um, this indicates that certain things are deficient of something. Um, something that ought to be present, but it's not there. It's, there, there so things that remain to be done. This is the same word that Jesus used in Luke uh, when he's talking to the rich young ruler. There is still one thing you lack. All right? There's still one more thing that you, that you lack. Um, and Paul is saying, well, there are things that are lacking in the churches. Titus, I'm living in Crete, so that you would put in order the things that are lacking. There's still more work to do in these churches. So we can say, think about it in modern times, Titus, the church is here, they need some revitalization, right? They need some work of revitalization. And the church is here, we could say maybe they need some push towards health. We want to see healthy churches in Crete. Titus, can you help with that? Titus, I'm putting you in Crete so that the churches there would be healthy. There are things that are lacking. How is he going to do this? Well, it says in verse 5, put things, you might put what remained into order. And then secondly, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So one of the ways Titus can do this revitalization work is to appoint elders in every city, in every town. Um, elders is just another word for pastors. They, in other passages in Scripture, they're used interchangeably. Um, in Acts 20, we don't have time to look there. Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3. Um, you have the same qualifications listed here as 1 Timothy 3, which uses the word overseer. 1 Peter 5. These are passages that kind of indicate pastors, elders, or bishops, or overseers, are, are used interchangeably in Scripture to refer to the work of a pastor. And so Titus is supposed to ordain pastors or elders in every town. Um, this is uh, the, some observation here, two observations. One, it says here, pastors. There's, it's in the plural. Um, this is a common New Testament pattern that we see that churches, even, even when in Econium and Lystra, when Paul and Barnabas went back to those cities, they ordained pastors. They're, it's in plural. That they've put men, um, not just one person. And then second, it says here, in every town. Um, and, and the idea is according to town or town by town. Uh, based on this expression, it's most, most likely that in the island of Crete, there are several churches. I mean, it, if the size is about from Spartanburg to Greenville, that's, that's a huge, you know, we know that there are many churches from Spartanburg to Greenville here, um, or from Clemson to Rock Hill. Um, so, the, so you would think that there are several churches in the island of Crete already. And Titus is to, to appoint elders for every town that there is a church. From town to town, there's a church there. Make sure you have men, elders. This is the task that we want to do in the Philippines. Um, while we focus on revitalizing a hub church, it's a church in the north, it's been there for 50 years. Many people ask, you're going over there, but that church has already been existing for a long time. And I would say, that's true. 
Um, at one point, that church had 400 members. Now they have less than 100. Um, maybe even less than that. Um, I mean, how could it be less than less than 100? But fewer than, fewer, way fewer than, um, not even close to reaching 100. Um, on the video, it, it appears like the, the, all the pews were all filled. Those are actually three congregations that were gathered that Sunday. So I, I had the opportunity to preach that Sunday. And on the video, the, the congregation looks like it's full. But those are three congregations. The Hub Church. And then we, at that Sunday, we ordained two pastors for one of our church plants. It so happened it was the last Sunday that I was in the Philippines before we head back to the States. This was back in May, the last Sunday of May. And one pastor from uh, a, a church plant, he brought the congregation with them for that Sunday evening. And then the other pastor that we're ordaining, he brought his congregations, there's three congregations that Sunday. So I was preaching to three congregations in one building. And, and that Sunday we've, we've presented this men, that this men are, are fit, qualified, and we want this men to, to be pastors of these church plants. So we've been doing that, we've seen that happening, and we want to do more of that. Um, and here in Titus, uh, you know, you can't just put any, any men you want. Um, their qualifications. Uh, there's a whole list, uh, verses 6 through um, 8. Um, uh, you have the overall trait, it has to be a man that's above reproach. That's repeated twice. Um, uh, talking about his family, as a husband of one man, he has faithful children. And you have six negatives, things that you should not do. Should not be like, and then six positives. But I want to focus on verse 9. Not overlooking those, but I just want to see what's happening in verse 9 here. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. The word hold firm means to, devote it, to be devoted to. He must be devoted to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the God-ordained means to revitalize churches towards health. Namely, have qualified men, men who are godly, in keeping with all these you know, attributes and quali- qualifications listed here, and also faithfully proclaiming sound doctrine, devoted to sound doctrine, rebuking those who contradict healthy teaching. How do you do revitalization work? It's this. Have men who are qualified and devoted to God's word. These are the kind of men that we want to raise up in the Philippines, kind of men we want to train. And these are the kind of men that we're praying in our own church, that God will bring us more men who would lead our churches and, and more men to lead the churches here, even here at with you at Suba Road, Baptist. That's the beginning of the letter. And then throughout the letter, uh, right in the middle, you have words of teaching. Um, uh, at the ver- uh, verse 1, you have, um, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Um, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised and manifested in His Word through preaching. These are preaching words, which has been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. 
So you have that at the opening verse. And then we already read verse 9 to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke. And then you go to verse 13, one, chapter 1, verse 13. Here's the command to Titus. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith or healthy in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Chapter 2, verse 6. Urge the young men to be self-controlled. Chapter 2, verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them. Chapter 3, verse 8, this is saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. It's a short letter, but in this short letter, all throughout the letter, you have these words of, of teaching um, speech words, declare, exhort, rebuke, urge, preach, give instruction. And you can see the emphasis, right? If you are seeing all these things being repeated, you have it on the beginning, you have it all throughout repeated. And, and you can see now the focus of the task of giving instruction in sound doctrine. It's, it's, it's throughout the letter. Paul points out that there are false teachers, um, that needed to be rebuked. And here's a question. What's so bad about unhealthy teaching anyway, right? Well, verse 11 tells us why this is important. Verse 11, they must, false teachers, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. That word upsetting has an idea of ruining or destroying. They're destroying whole families by teaching for shameful gain that they ought not to preach. This is, this is why. Uh, verse 14. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people. And this is what they do. They turn away from the truth. That's why Titus needs to rebuke them sharply. That they may be sound in the faith. There is, um, you know, the... the the results, the consequences are too, too big if we don't devote ourselves to sound teaching. Um, people will turn away from the truth or ruining families, upsetting families. Uh, we, we see this even in the Philippines. Um, my, my grandfather um, got upset with, with his local church um, and was looking around, listening to the radio. What teacher could I listen to? For some reason, he knows that he wants to listen to someone, right? Um, and he has his Bible. Oh, this guy is teaching the Bible. I'm going to go follow this person. And, he, and his health was, was getting poor. His eyesight is getting poor. But he walked, you know, went and traveled for several, you know, several miles, public transportation. My aunts and uncles don't know where he is. All of a sudden, he was gone from the house. And when he came back, he told us what happened. He went and went to, to a, an, another faraway town and listened to this, this preacher who is offering and selling her er, some, some herbs to, for healing. And my grandfather was like, yeah, I, I need those herbs. I went there because many people said that they're being healed. So I, I went there. And my, my grandfather used to be a Baptist deacon, all right? 
Uh, my mom grew up in a Christian home, and this is my grandfather now flirting with false teaching, risking his life. He was half blind, traveling on public transportation to go see this false teacher and buy some of his herbs. It's upsetting families, destroying families, and it's turning people away from the truth. And that's why pastors need to be devoted to sound teaching. At the end of the letter, um, chapter 3, verse 9, you see how prioritizing sound doctrine, that also means we need to avoid unhealthy teaching. So as Titus insists and exhorts in sound doctrine, there are certain topics that he must avoid and has no part in his task of heralding the word. Chapter 3, verse 9, to, to the end of the letter. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Here's what Paul says about those who insist that they would rather talk and debate about, you know, foolish controversies. They're preoccupied about certain topics outside sound doctrine. What are you supposed to do with them? Verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I've been telling stories about my family, but uh, I have another relative who likes to debate online, right? Just want to debate theology online. Um, and especially eschatology, right? Uh, how coronavirus and Trump and Russia and Ukraine, how all these things are bringing about, I don't know, fulfillment of Second Peter and Ezekiel. I don't know how he got there. But after like, after like several times of conversation, I'm like, I, I just don't want anything to do with this. This is not profitable. Paul says, have nothing more to do with this. So maybe here's an application for, for us. Do you have people in social media who are loud about all kinds of topics and they want to do a friendly debate about them? But they're not loud about the glorious realities of the gospel. Paul says there's this foolish controversies that stir up division. Avoid them. So, so when Paul is saying be devoted to sound doctrine, he's not saying be devoted to all kinds of teaching. There are certain things, if you're devoted to one, then, then you avoid others. Foolish controversies, he calls them. Genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. So that's the what. What is, what, what is Titus to do? He is to set the church in order by ordaining qualified pastors devoted to sound doctrine. Why? Why should Titus do this? That's the second question. Why should Titus do this? Two reasons from the text. First, is because sound doctrine rooted in the gospel, all right, Gospel-centered doctrine, sound doctrine rooted in the gospel, is foundational to godliness. The first reason. Why should you have pastors ordaining them that are devoted to sound doctrine? Because sound doctrine is foundational to godliness. This is a major theme in Titus. 
Uh, you have this in the opening, the very first sentence of the letter. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. The knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. The NIV, if you have the NIV, this is what it says. It translates that, that phrase, which accords with godliness, that leads to godliness. I think that's, that's the idea. Sound doctrine, which accords to godliness, or which leads to godliness. And Paul fleshes this out in two sections. This is like the body of the letter. You know, we have this long introduction of what Titus is supposed to do. Here's the situation in Crete with all the false teachers. Now here is the body of the letter. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. This is what's happening. Or 1 through 15. Here's what's happening. Sound doctrine in the context of the church. You have here... In the first 10 verses, Paul is addressing different generations and genders in the church and how they should live their lives. And this is part of what Titus teaches, right? Uh, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what is that? And, and you know, you have different people addressed here, older men. Um, you have, verse 3, older women. Um, you have uh, young women, verse 4. Um, you have younger men, verse 6, right? So it's so different genders, different people in different stages in life, like what you will have in a congregation like this. And as Paul is addressing all these this things that they should do, at the end, he gives the reason why Titus should address all these all this groups of people. Verse 11, why? Titus, why are you telling older men, younger men, older women, younger women to live in this way? Why? Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. You see that for? I'm giving you the explanation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, men, women, young and old, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why should, certain, why should young men live this way? Um, you know, why should they be self-controlled? Why should older men be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness? Or why should older women be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to wine? Why? Because the grace of God has appeared. Paul is rooting all these actions that the church should live and how they live their lives. He's rooting it to doctrine. To the gospel, the, the doctrines of grace. The grace of God has appeared. And Titus ought to preach and teach not only this grace that brings salvation to all kinds of people, but it's also the, the grace of God, the gospel, that instructs us to deny ungodliness and to live a holy life as we anticipate the return of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the gospel that saves is also the gospel that changes us from glory to glory. And this is why Paul, be devoted to sound doctrine because sound doctrine leads to godliness. 
Sound doctrine is the reason, the foundation, and why men should be sober-minded. Why older women should not be slanderers. Why younger women should love their husbands. Why all these things that, that we know we should do, but, but they're all rooted and um, based on the doctrine of the gospel. Do you see why a church, a healthy church, is a church where pastors are devoted to sound doctrine? Because when you are devoted to sound doctrine, this is what happens. This is what happens to older men. This is what happens to older women. This is what happens to young men, to young women. They're living lives not just because they're freed from sin, because of the gospel that saved them, but because also because the gospel is changing their life. But now they want to live a godly life. Now they want to avoid worldliness and fleshly lust. That's not what I want. Why? Because the gospel, the grace that has appeared is doing this work in their life. This is the gospel for godliness. Chapter 3. Now, chapter 2 is more like the church family, right? There's, there's different generations and different genders. Chapter 3 is more of the, the general culture, all right? And you have the similar pattern. There are ethical reminders or, or commands and things that we should do in the first two verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward people. Those are good things, right? Have courtesy, be respectful. Avoid quarreling, right? No road range. Road, road, you know, uh, speak evil of no one. These are good things to have. But, but Paul is not after just moral teaching. This is not just about moral teaching. Because he gives the reason why. Verse 3, 4. Now here's another explanation. Why, why should the churches, and Titus should instruct them, to have all these ethical commands here listed in verses 1 and 2. Why? Verse 3, 4. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This was our life. But, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... When the gospel came, this good news about God's love, he saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, not because of our works, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's why. That's why you should live this way. That's why you should be obedient. That's why you should be submissive to authorities. That's why you should be ready for every good work. To speak no evil. That's why you should avoid quarreling. Why? Because the gospel came to your life. The gospel changes lives. The goodness and loving kindness of God appeared. Not by works but according to God's mercy. Titus and the pastors that he appoints need to preach this gospel 
so that people will change, so that people will be changed. This is the key in setting up a church in order, in revitalizing a church towards health, keeping the gospel central and clear. So we talk about sound doctrine. What exactly are we talking about? Um, we know there are different, various levels of doctrine, right? Not all doctrines are created equal. It's probably the elephant in the room. Um, what, what is sound doctrine? Um, we know Paul says that the gospel is of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15. So doctrines related to the gospel, that without these doctrines, there's no gospel. Those are the doctrines of first importance. Um, but how about, you know, these doctrines that, you know, they're related to the gospel. These are doctrines that if we deny them, we don't have a clear gospel. Uh, these are doc- doctrines that we may sometimes be embarrassed to confess, you know, inerrancy of scripture. There's no error in the Bible. Or the virgin birth of Christ. Like, is that really possible? Um, the total sinfulness of man. But without those things, without these doctrines, you don't have a gospel. Without the virgin birth, then, then what, what is Jesus? Is, is Jesus the perfect God-man or not? Um, so these are key important doctrines that without them, there's no gospel. But then how, how about those, those other doctrines? The secondary, we would say secondary doctrines, some people would say. But these other doctrines are maybe not directly connected to the gospel, but they are somewhat important still, right? So sometimes when we put a tier of doctrine, okay, this is a doctrine of first importance, and this one's more like level two, and sometimes because they're level two, we think they're not important. The one is first importance, maybe this one is second importance, so you still have the word importance in there. Um, that means it's still important, um, few reasons um, for the importance of these doctrines. One, um, doctrine just basically means teaching. So sound teaching. And so Paul refers to what the Bible clearly teaches. So when, when Paul says this pastor is to be devoted to sound doctrine, he wants to be devoted to what the Bible is teaching. Maybe there's no direct consequence about the gospel if you remove it. But the Bible is nonetheless teaching it, so be devoted to it. Be devoted to what the Bible teaches. Um, And I understand that sometimes Christians come to different conclusions. But I think God has written them in Scripture so that we shouldn't ignore them. Even if we don't or may never fully understand them. Um, when we ignore or we're indifferent about them, that means we're indifferent about what God has revealed in Scripture. And we deem him, them as unimportant. And when we do that, we're actually missing on the wonderful glories that God has revealed for us in Scripture. So, I understand that we may come with different conclusions on secondary doctrines, but here, here is what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't say that those are not important or that those are, um, we're, we're apathetic to them. Those are the words of God. Uh, we, if we don't understand them fully, then the more we should study them. Last, 
Some of these secondary doctrines, though they are not directly connected to the gospel, they nonetheless adorn the gospel. For example, right? Well, you're a super old Baptist church, right? Baptism, right? I know different churches have different views on baptism, but whatever view you land on, that is important because baptism some adorns the gospel. It's displaying what the gospel is. So we shouldn't be, you know, well, I don't know what to do with that. Um, and be indifferent about it. What I'm saying is well, whatever conclusion you land on, whatever, um, you must be convinced from Scripture and be convinced from Scripture and not be apathetic towards sound doctrine. That's the first thing. Sound doctrine leads to godliness. Last, second reason. Sound doctrine doesn't only lead to godliness, but sound doctrine leads to good works. To good works. That small two words, good works, are mentioned six times. Well, it's not very many. Well, there's only three chapters. In three chapters, good works shows up six times. I'm going to mention two. Chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The message of the gospel is that this, this Christ who gave his own life to redeem us, who bled and died for us, he did, thus, he did that to redeem a people. And what will happen to that people? That people will be his own possession. And those people are people who are zealous for good works. Do you see how the gospel changes even what we do? Now, now everything we do is now connected to Christ. I'm doing this good work, not because I'm earning salvation, but because God has changed me. Because the Christ, when he died, he's redeeming a people who will be zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to insist on these things, sound doctrine. Why? So that those who have believed in God, those who have turned around because you've been preaching the gospel, what would happen to them? So that those who believed in God, chapter 3, verse 8, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Titus, insist on the gospel. Preach sound doctrine. Ordain qualified men who will be devoted to sound doctrine. Why? So that those who will believe in God will be doing good works. They'll be careful. Um, they will be Careful to devote themselves. Same idea. Devote themselves to good works. Be devoted to sound doctrine. So those who will hear you will be devoted to good works. Do you notice the two things that are emphasized in the letter? So in one hand, you have preaching and exhorting and rebuking those words of, of teaching. And on the other hand, you have an emphasis on good works. And sometimes we get confused on those two things. Right? So what's the task of Titus? And the task of pastors. They are to teach sound doctrine. What happens when individual people who believe and receive sound doctrine, what happens to them? They do good works. 
in the mission of the church, in the mission of what, what, why we're sending pastors, why we're sending even missionaries, is that so that they could do good works in a community? There's nothing wrong with doing good works in a community. That's a good thing to do. All Christians should be doing that. But the task of why Paul left Titus in Crete is not so that Titus would, would do community good works. His task is that he would be devoted to sound doctrine. But not because good works and community work is bad. But so that when he preaches sound doctrine and people come to know God, they will be devoted to good works. Individual Christians are involved in good works. Two specific examples in Titus. So you have two key passages, two specific examples of good works. Chapter 3, verse 13, towards the end of the letter here. I'll read verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Oh, and this, this other thing, Titus. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that they lack nothing. Uh, who is Zenas? The, this, is, this is help missionaries, okay? This is help missionaries. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer. Zenas the lawyer is accompanying Apollos. Who's Apollos? Apollos is the preacher. Zenas and Apollos, they're traveling. Speed them on their way. That they would not lack anything. That they would get to where they want to go. Another one. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Here it is again. How? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Preach the gospel. And when there's a need, an urgent need, it's not like, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to help. They want to help. Why? They love the church. They love the people. They love God. They love people. And, and they love the, their neighbors who are lost because they have been changed by the gospel and they are eager to help in urgent need. Sometimes we try to move that around and, and say, this is what you have to put up first. No, no, no. Be devoted to sound doctrine so that God's people could do good works. I usually ask this to people, which is more important, sound doctrine or good works? Um, sometimes that's almost asking, you know, who do you love best? You know, do you have your, your son or your daughter? Um, I only have one child, so that's easy for me to answer. Some would say, well, you need to balance both. You know, good works without sound doctrine, that's dangerous, right? But too much sound doctrine, that's not good either. If you're, de you're devoted to sound doctrine and then it's not, there's no good works that, that happen after that, you, you need both. But what we see in Titus is that what is primary, sound doctrine is primary, it's the basis, and good works is the result, so they're not, they're not on equal level. Both are important, but they're not on equal level. One is causing the other. So if you don't have, let's see my analogy. Right? One is causing the other. Sound doctrine is causing the good works, right? If you don't have sound doctrine, you don't have good works. Well, is that true in real life? Well, there are good works, but why? Good works so that they can earn their way to heaven. Good works for self-gain. For self That's not really the good works that Titus is, or Paul is talking about in Titus. Sound doctrine is what leads to this. 
Well, how, what if you have sound doctrine, but you, there's no good works? It's just, you know, we're just all reading systematic theology 24-7, you know? Like, here's what I'm going to say. If, if, if your sound doctrine does not lead to good works, you're reading sound doctrine in the wrong way. Because sound doctrine is supposed to lead to godliness and to good works. If you're feeding your brain... So there's something in your brain that's not connecting this sound doctrine that it affects your, your heart. Because it's supposed to affect your heart and affect your hands, head, heart, hands. It's supposed to lead to godliness and good works. They go together. Without the one, without sound doctrine, you don't have good works. But if you have sound doctrine without good works, that sound doctrine is faulty. Um, because sound doctrine is supposed to lead to good works. How is the Christian's good works different from the good works that we see around the world? Well, the Christian does good works because it's motivated by the grace of God. And if you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, what are you relying to save you? What are you depending on to be accepted? What makes you free? That is not your good works. For by grace you are saved through faith so that we will not boast. We're not going to do virtue signaling. That's what the world does when they do good works. But Christians, we can do good works and it's in secret. And that's okay because it comes from the heart. Not that if they've seen it, you know, nothing wrong. Sometimes, sometimes that happens too. But even if no one sees it, it's okay. Because we're saved by grace. The grace empowers us and motivates us to do good works for the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the motivation. It's not to signal our virtue. It's to look at the great God who saved me. The direction is, is different. The motivation is different. So the Christian does good works, free from guilt and burden and shame of not doing enough good works. I'm not going to do good works because I'm not doing enough. That, that's not the motivation at all for the Christian. We don't do good works for virtue signaling or to be accepted by the culture. We do good works because the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of our works done by, by us, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. I pray that you would help us to be devoted to your word. I pray for the pastors of Subaru Baptist Church. Give them the strength and the leaders here. That they may be devoted to your word. And may you transform each one of us here to live godly lives and to be zealous for good works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin.